Right now, Florida's insurance crisis is rapidly trickling down from single-family homes to condominiums. Homeowners associations report insurance quotes are skyrocketing, leaving unit owners many on fixed incomes, facing steep increases in monthly payments or even special assessment. Owning a condo is certainly getting more expensive. Tampa real estate broker Kristen Fidal says it's a phenomenon he's seeing more often. HOA insurance costs soaring. The expectation was maybe you know, 20, 30% increase, and now you're seeing a fourfold increase. But at condominiums like this one on Davis Islands, their most recent insurance payment was 25,000 a year. This time, Fidal says only three companies would even offer them a policy. And the lowest, including windstorm damage, was 113,000. HOA board meeting in South Florida, frustrations boiled over. Police were called in when angry residents were told of a sharp fee increase with little notice. My message is simply get it together. Welcome back to Why Are We Like This, the podcast that treats Florida like the active crime scene it is. I'm your host, David Quinones. I'm joined by my co-host, Gerald Doherty. Hello, Gerald. Hello, how are you? I'm doing good. How are things uh, in your neck of the woods? Uh, they're dark. Uh, it gets it gets very dark very early. And uh, yeah, man. yeah, I feel like this is going to take a toll on me where I become a recluse and a hermit and then I overindulge in that. I'll be okay. It's NBA season, baby. Yeah, another um, reason why I'm worried for my mental health. <laughs> uh, so Tomas is missing. He will be joining us a little bit later. But for now, in, in his stead, we are joined by Adrian. Madriz, the co-executive director of Struggle for Miami's Affordable and Sustainable Housing Incorporated. Um, and you might know that uh, that organization by its more handy acronym, SMASH Miami. Uh, Adrian, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here, David and Gerald. So we asked you on to talk about the work that your team at SMASH is doing, but specifically this campaign that you all are leading to reform HOA assistance and insurance reform in Florida, which is kind of like a particularly the latter of those two is a, is a favorite topic on our show. Uh, but, but before we get into that, I want to direct our listeners right off the bat to sign the petition. It's linked here in the episode's show notes. Go ahead, click on that link and sign the petition. Uh, if for some reason you just don't see it or you're listening on some other kind of device, um, you can go over to smash.miami. And it's the first uh, news article that they have right below the fold on the website. You'll be able to click on it there and, 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 um, and, sign the petition. It's important. We're going to get into what's in the petition. Um, but Adrian, we've talked a lot on this show about the homeowner's insurance crisis, but kind of from a little more of a bougie perspective, a little more of a like, my house is worth a million dollars, but now I have to pay $30,000 for insurance. Um, and that's not really the, the lens that Smash deals with a lot of issues through. I'm wondering how this issue and the HOA issue, another issue that frankly can tend to be a little bougie and a little Karen-y and a little suburban-y. How did this land on Smash's radar and how did you guys decide to take this on as a as a campaign? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So I want to uh, formally introduce myself. So Adrián Madrid, I'm the co-executive director of Smash, which stands for Struggle for Miami's Affordable and Sustainable Housing. And we are a community land trust that is building power for housing and climate justice in Miami. And we operate two housing cooperatives that serve as mutual aid housing for our leaders, which are being trained into housing justice organizers. We have one in Liberty City and one in Dadeland, and we're developing another one in Liberty City as well. So typically we organize tenants, people who are renting and who are dealing with slum conditions and high rents and gentrification and climate change and sea level rise. 
And this issue of the HOAs and the insurance, it's definitely very atypical for us because it's mostly an issue that affects homeowners and condo owners. But what we're seeing is that it's also something that affects renters because a lot of the folks who are experiencing rent increases now is because their landlord had to raise their rent because of the insurance premiums going up or because their HOA on that unit also went up also because of insurance premium increases. And so it would be kind of stupid for us to think about what housing justice looks like for Miamians or Floridians and not adequately address or think about what would be some real, um, some real community driven methods to address the insurance crisis. Because it is unfortunately having a trickle down effect on everybody. We're all feeling equally miserable because of these insurance rate increases. So that's why we were motivated to really get into this particular um, you know, campaign. And I, I would say that it's also an, an issue that unfortunately, for all of the different ways that it affects, the, that the housing crisis affects um, black and brown, low income Miamians, this insurance issue, it, it kind of tracks along those same lines because a lot of the folks who are having the bet, the biggest difficulty in paying those premium increases are black and brown homeowners who are being gentrified, right? Who are kind of like the last line of defense before an entire neighborhood becomes completely corporately owned and is yet another, you know, uh, pawn in George Perez's, you know, infinite uh, chessboard, right? So white collar playground, basically, basically, basically. And so we really do have to do our best to protect black and brown homeowners, because if they're constantly now having to sell to whoever comes to them first to bail them out of the situation, it's going to go to developers who are just going to turn their single family home into a casino or into a condo tower or whatever monstrosity they come up with next. So that's that's why we got into this. So what, what is the shape of this campaign? Um, like, what are the demands um, uh, for the listener? And how are you guys going about um, pressing for those demands? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a campaign in which uh, we're, we're, it's, it's so interesting because it involves both renters and homeowners, all of us working together to really think about all of the different solutions that would really work on something like this. And we've never had that kind of dynamic before. Before, it's been mostly renters telling homeowners how it is that they need to treat them with respect and dignity. And so, so this has been a really unique opportunity for us to come up with some truly transcendent demands about how it is that we can change the insurance market and the insurance uh, system in Florida to really benefit everyone. So a couple of the demands that we came up with are things like, number one, we want to cap home insurance rates at a percentage of the assessed value of the home. And we think that this is probably the most aggressive of the demands, but it's probably the most necessary because right now an insurance company can basically increase their rates to any amount. And in some cases, people are paying double what they were paying before for their housing just because of the insurance increase. And that that really can't be the case, especially for people who are living in uh, low income housing, uh, who are elderly, who really have those fixed incomes. And they really depend on being able to pay more or less the same thing every single month. And those are the folks that are really going to be affected by this and unfortunately have to leave their home and have no place to live as a result of just the insurance. So then we've got... Just in in layman's terms, even if you had a a total rent freeze, Mm -hmm. you could still see the cost of housing double because the insurance rates, uh, you know, 
uh, go up basically so so basically. dramatically. Yep, that that is how much. I mean, in 2023, they went up by 40 percent, and almost every single accountant and you know person who deals with insurance we've spoken to has told us to expect a similar increase in 2024. That's 80 percent in two years, right? That's you know in another year it'll be over double what you were paying just two years ago. So yeah, this is a very big problem, and we need to get it under control. There has to be some kind of a reasonable cap at least on like the rate that they can increase it, not necessarily a cap on the rate itself. So then another thing we really want is to prevent future rate hikes by holding insurers accountable to the promise they made when they avail themselves of the incentives that they currently have and resolve to use the state's power to deny rate increases. So this is so crucial. I think that this is this is great. And I haven't seen this expressed in this way. It's the second bullet in your um, in, in, in what you're asking for. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, it speaks to this core unfairness of, yeah, we were good enough as a state broadly for you to come here and make money mm-hmm. here and for you to take advantage of the advantageous, uh, you know, pro business uh, you know, bent that Florida is well known for. But we weren't good enough for you to make good on staying, you know, keeping in keeping that business and providing those services going forward, right? Because uh, that's all we've been hearing is about the insurers that are packing up and leaving the state. Exactly, exactly. And they cried and cried and cried all the way to the bank about the adjusters, right? And uh, then there was a, a, a whole bunch of laws passed last year in the last session that made it so much harder now to actually, if you are the consumer, if you are the insured, to actually take legal action against your insurance company. So it's incentives like those that, okay, they got a whole bunch of goodies from the state. Now, how is it actually trickling down into benefits for the um, for the consumer, for the insured? It's not, you know, it's just really adding to the bottom line for the insurance companies. And we really got to hold them accountable to that. So the other thing we want to do is create an insurance industry funded homeowner incentives program similar to programs that are already in those uber socialist states like California, but also those ultra red states like Alabama that will enable Florida families to invest in home resiliency improvements. Critically, these investments will reduce property damage caused by hurricanes and other catastrophic wind events. And we can require that companies receiving any insurance industry incentives increase their presence in the state to bolster Florida's struggling insurance market. This is a model that has seen solid success in Louisiana as well. So this is, you know, taking models right off the shelf to figure out how we can actually pay for a lot of these different programs. And it's worked really well in all of these other places. Interesting because just recently there was it's interesting because just recently there was the um, the the refunding along with part of um, uh, some other. Uh, the, the, the Florida House actually had unanimously passed uh, approved grants and tax breaks for hurricane that were associated initially with Hurricane Idalia relief. Mm-hmm. Um, and they as part of that, they they included one hundred and eighty one million dollars to the My Safe Florida Home program. And that sounds great until you realize that it's that that money is meant to uh, basically clear off a wait list of 17,000 um, homeowners. And somebody did the math and said that if, if all of the. Uh, if if the if if this slow trickle of funding were to you know try to satisfy all the need in the state, it would take something like 150 years to 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 actually fix Florida. This creates and puts the own this creates a program. I think that can do it much faster. What you're proposing here because it is not relying on the Florida legislature to do it. It is 
putting it in the hands of the people who have the money, the insurance companies. And they do. Making them be responsible. They they have lots of money. You know, it's so funny. With these insurance companies constantly cry about they're going bankrupt and leaving the state. But I never hear about insurance agents or insurance executives going homeless, right? Or uh, losing their home or anything like that. Like they always have a way to make sure that they get away with whatever they're doing and then just kind of dump all of the actual liability and all of the consequences on Florida's homeowners and, you know, renters as well. So we, I've talked with I've talked with Gerald and Tomas before about my toxic trait as a former mm-hmm. reporter of going into going into Accurant. And whenever one of these companies leaves, I look up who the CEO and the, the C-suite is, uh, who, who, who the C-suite are. And I go into Accurant, find their home addresses and just pull up images of their homes. And I realized, like, these guys are doing fine. Oh, yeah. Fine. They're doing oh, yeah. great. Yeah. They're, they're trying to make it seem like, oh, my goodness. It just hurts so much. We had to close our whole company. We're going bankrupt. You know, blah, blah, blah. Please. Please. Yeah. You know, you're wiping your <laughs> face with $100 bills every single day. Why should we have sympathy? So, exactly. um, anyway, uh, the other thing that we want to do is reinstate attorney's fees for homeowners who sue their insurers and win. That's a big one. That was taken away I believe, the, in, the, in the last session. Yeah, that I, I think that that's interesting um, it, because you're going to have to. And I, I, I think that any politician who signs on with this would would be welcome to admit that 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 2022 special session, it didn't it didn't work. It didn't take this is this is like the organ rejected the body. We, we tried this. It did not work. And um, I don't know. Do you do you envision that that being a sticking point because you're asking some of these legislators, I signed the petition and I saw all the uh, the representatives of mine that it was routed to. And I'm, you know, just asking them to understand like, hey, you tried that. That didn't work. Do you see that as a, as a sticking point or anything that might require a little extra effort? I think all of these are going to require a lot of effort because <laughs> as I'm sure we've Fair. all learned the hard way, we the people are not really in control of the state of Florida. You know, it's kind of like the developers, the insurance companies, real estate people, right? The apartment association, they kind of run the state and we're just kind of along for the ride, right? So yeah, I think they're all gonna require effort. The next thing that we wanted to do is to make a catastrophic level plan. This is a big one. Make a catastrophic level plan available for low income homeowner associations and link it to an association owned and managed insurance savings account. So let me unpack this one a little bit because it's saying a lot in a very short amount. Basically, if you are uh, especially part of an HOA or a condo association, your association has to pay for insurance on the public parts of the building, right? The, uh, the parts that belong to everybody. And unfortunately, there is no catastrophic plan that these, insert- that these associations can buy into So that way, they only have to pay a very small premium in order to make sure to be able to replace the building in case that there's a complete destruction of the building, right? They almost all the plans have, you know, all of the different kinds of features that you would expect. You know, it allows you to uh, replace the roof if something happens to it. It allows you to replace the windows, any kind of damage that uh, affects parts of the building. But there really should be a plan available for really low income associations so that you would only get to get a claim if there's a complete loss of the property. 
And then you're thinking, okay, well, then what would happen if a hurricane blows through and only like half the roof is gone or only the windows blow out or whatever the case might be? That's when the association would be able to tap into a special savings account, very similar to a health savings account, which you would do as an alternative to health insurance. Well, this would be like a property insurance savings account. And you might think that it might not accumulate enough to be able to pay for the kinds of claims that you need to put against it. Well, I would say that in my case with my association, if we literally just put in there what we are paying the insurance company this year, we would have over $500,000 in that account. Mm. And this is for an association that doesn't have any tall buildings. It's all buildings that are two and three stories and only has about 160 units. $500,000 is more than we spend on literally everything else in the budget. That's twice the amount that we spend on anything else in the budget for a whole year. So it like automatically we'd have a huge slush fund in the savings account that we could tap into whenever we have those kinds of maintenance issues going forward. We don't have the flexibility to do that right now because 70% of our budget is going to just paying the insurance premiums. Right. You know? Yeah. So that's what that in, in a lot of cases, it, it's funny because you, see, you can see that in a micro level, even in my neighborhood. Um, I've told Gerald, I think before, about how my neighborhood is just outside Coral Gables and it is formerly recently very working class neighborhood that is now getting uh, super gentrified. And like and uh, it I have old neighbors. I talk to them all the time. And the vast majority of them that own their homes outright don't carry insurance. And the reason why is exactly what you're talking about. If I, they, they, they're responsible, they live on fixed income and they just put that money away. And when something happens, they just use the money for that. They like when, when there is some damage, they, they just have that money and they, 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 they use it. And I asked them, how can, don't you, you know, me, of course, being, you know, so like fastidious about this kind of stuff. I'm like, don't you worry? Aren't you scared that something will happen? And they, they, they'll tell me my, my neighbor, Carmelo, great guy. I've had it. I had insurance for forty years, uh, David. Never helped me once. It, it was only a hassle. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's a good point. Insurance Whoa. has never helped yeah. me either. Actually, for real. <laughs> Why are we paying hundreds of thousands of dollars in insurance, and then when we have a claim, they literally find every excuse in the book to not pay the claim. Yeah. Like yep. that makes no sense whatsoever. Just save up the money, put it in a bank account, and then you can decide how to use it. Yeah, and use it when yeah. you need it. I know someone who's on Key West who also does not have insurance, and he said he did the math. If he can go five years without getting hit by a hur- hurricane, he has enough to just buy a new house <laughs> from what he yeah. would be paying in insurance. <laughs> Almost every homeowner in the state is in that exact same situation. You know. Um, so yeah, I think it's a no brainer, like make more savings vehicles available. And, and then also, and this is later on in the demands, it's very important that mortgage companies and lenders stop using the kind of, uh, insurance that is available right now as a requirement in order to be able to actually have an active mortgage on the property. They need to, the state needs to figure out a way to require the banks to have them accept different kinds of insurance or different kinds of funds that people can leverage in the case that there is some kind of damage to the house or something needs to be repaired. Because it's a huge collusion between the banks and the insurance companies right now because of these requirements that you have to have homeowners insurance or property insurance in order to be able to get a loan to buy a house. 
You know, almost yeah. every single lender is going to require it, even nonprofit lenders, even CDFIs. They all require some level of insurance. And it's always a, 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 such a significant amount of insurance that it's always going to be very prohibitively expensive for the average person to be able to afford it. So that that whole practice has to stop. I would imagine that it's that that with Smash, a lot of the uh, people in the neighborhoods and the, the communities that you interact with, um, many probably live in pre-Andrew, pre-Hurricane Andrew homes, which notoriously are much more difficult difficult to get um, to get insured. I don't think that that's by accident. I don't think that a strategy that results or, or happenstance that results in um, people who live in, in in those neighborhoods being, you know, go, falling down the rabbit hole of forced placed insurance. And then eventually um, what happens after that is a, a process akin to foreclosure. Basically, you, if you can't keep the house insured, um, I don't think it's an accident that this highly desirable uh, high land, by the way, in Miami, like Lemon City, Little Haiti, Overtown, um, Liberty City. These are all Little River. These are all they're going to be among the last parts, pieces of parcels of land in this county to be affected by by rising tides. That's not an accident. And I don't think I would imagine that this is a refrain that you hear a lot, but doesn't get as much. Um, Frankly, it doesn't get as much attention as when somebody like me, who's like media savvy and gets on the phone with, you know, uh, with with Christina Vasquez and talks to, you know, WSVN, like it doesn't get the same coverage. It doesn't get the same attention, I don't think. No, not at all. Funny you should mention her. She was the first reporter that we got to cover the issue of slumlords in Miami back in 2015. So she's a real OG. She is like yeah. one of the very few journalists that really care about these issues in a very genuine way. So we love Christina Vasquez a lot. No, I was going to say the one that that we that we I think we're headed for is stronger vigilance and protections against fraud, which that is probably your shortest bullet point here that has, I think, the biggest implications. So try to unpack that for us, how that would look. I think there's been a lot of fraud. By all parties. OK, let's just be very real about this. OK, I think that the fraud on the part of our parties has been because of the other kind of like structural problems with the insurance market that's been in place for such a long period of time. The excessive amounts that we have to pay for insurance, the very little that we get in claims. Of course, a whole cottage industry was eventually going to pop up that made it so that you could make a whole business out of getting people actual claims from an insurance company. Yeah. If you're going to be that right. stingy yeah. for a long time, there's going to be adjusters. I mean, it's just a natural uh, consequence of the market. But yes, there should be um, uh, protections against fraud and there there need to be better protocols in place to, to weed it out and to prevent it from happening because every single time there's fraud, all parties use it as an excuse to increase their rates and we can, we just can't have that anymore. You know, like there, there needs to be a significant investment placed into rooting out and making sure uh, there is no fraud. So then the other thing that we want is to get credits for not filing claims after passing inspections. There are a lot of folks who every single year, they never file a claim. Why do they never get a credit? You get that, you get those credits for auto insurance. If you don't have an accident for a certain period of time, you get to pay less, right? Um, you get to pay less also for your health insurance. If you go to a gym or if you have, uh, you know, uh, uh, like a, a, an active uh, a, appointment with your with your uh, general practitioner, you go see them on a regular basis, and they see that you're being very on top of your health. Yeah, they give you a discount for those things. There's nothing like that that exists right now for insurance, and insurance companies should absolutely make those things available to the consumers. 
And the, the state should have a hand in like basically making it so that, hey, if this person hasn't had a claim in an X number of years, you, the insurance company has to give them a discount of some kind. You know what's fascinating about that, Adrian, is that like the when you think about life insurance, life insurance used to have you was life insurance is, is an area that was dictated by the market because it used to be that you paid for life insurance and you never saw that money again. These days, most of the better life insurance policies are ones that you eventually uh, it depends on the policy, but you can eventually use the money. It basically goes into a savings account of some kind. You get remunerated for it you get you, you pay back you get paid back on your premiums if you don't die and then you know when you do die then that's you know somebody gets paid and that component we were talking about earlier about the the mandatory the requirement when you have a mortgage through the banking system of having this negates any kind of any kind of dynamic that would make the insurance industry meet the consumer somewhere it makes it where they don't have to be meeting us they don't have to because if it was if, if, if I was an insurance company, I could very easily create a product like what you're describing, and I would probably wipe the floor with everybody. But I have no incentive to because you guess what? You have to buy this product. Yeah, I think you really hit the nail on the head right there because there's so much collusion amongst the companies that they don't actually have to offer anything in the way of a competitive product. And right. but then also the requirements, you know, from the lenders are so ridiculous that it really doesn't give them the flexibility to offer different alternatives, even if they wanted to. So we got to attack it from both fronts. Absolutely. Mm. So then the other thing that we'd like is, um, you know, this practice of giving bonuses for executives on years that hurricanes don't occur, that needs to be limited because they do get bonuses because yeah, they didn't pay as many claims. If an executive gives themselves a bonus in one year and then the following year, the company declares bankruptcy, and can't pay claims, then that bonus can be recalled from the executive and put back into the company to pay the claims. At the very minimum, we should be able to do that, right? And we're not talking about small yeah, bonuses absolutely. here. We're talking about millions and millions of dollars that if a company is really struggling, yeah, recall the bonus, fund the company, you know, but but don't keep playing this roulette game of like, ah, no hurricanes yeah. this year, we pay ourselves more. No, put that money into, the fund or something like that, or have the state take it so that we can keep the company solvent uh, so that we can continue to fund ourselves whenever there's an actual storm. Otherwise, we're defeating the purpose. <laughs> it's so the, the, the compensation is out. It's yeah. outrageous. Like if you read about this stuff, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So then uh, the other thing we want is an easy to understand system with details on wind mitigation credits for each homeowner. Right now, we have to guess whether or not we get all the credits we deserve. No. So that uh, I didn't come up with that demand, but that does seem like it makes a lot of sense. I've never gotten into the the nitty nitty gritty of like what the min, wind mitigation credits are supposed to be, but I would imagine that if you are getting wind mitigation, it's probably based on some kind of an analysis that an inspector and engineer has to do, perform on your home, and that can be really hard to navigate. So something that makes it much easier would be very welcome. So the other thing is. Uh, Houses that have both concrete roofs and impact windows or shutters get an additional wind mitigation credit. So that's related to the wind mitigation credit thing. A cap on HOA fee increases. This is a big one. Unless the HOA can perform an audit of its finances and make it transparent. So this would now, you know, we're talking about caps on the insurance side, but the HOAs, 
they, in some cases, are raising the rates and they're not necessarily justifying all of them just because of the insurance. Now, in my HOA, Mm -hmm. our residents are very on top of things. We have had to go into detail with the finances, with the budget to make sure everybody understands that the increases are only happening because of the insurance for no other reason whatsoever. We're cutting the rest of our costs and we're still having to pay more because the insurance premium increases are just that high. So every single association should have to subject themselves to some kind of an audit of their finances um, and make all of their finances transparent. And if they can't do that, then they have to cap their fee increases. You know, it's either or. So this is... This is fascinating, Adrian, mm-hmm. because I think that this is one area where you're going to really be able to make, um, again, we've talked about the demographic that Smash serves and works with and the communities that you work with. But I think that you might really be able to make a lot of common cause across the economic yeah. spectrum here. And and when I say that, I'm thinking specifically about the recent, recently the Palm Bay Yacht Club condo owners who are being hit with a $46 million repair bill that is more than it cost to build their building when they initially <laughs> built it. And there is, to your point, uh, pe- the you know, these, you know, uh, I don't know if they're one percenters, but they're 10 percenters, definitely, um, they are asking, being asked to pay, be, to pay 175 grand each on their uh, recertification. And when you go to, when they go, when these, these stakeholders go to the HOA, and say, okay, show us this on paper. Show us how this works. Like, give us an audit. We we need to see this. You're asking me to spend almost two hundred grand. Like, there there's nothing. They can't find any great documentation that shows. Like, yeah, it should. All, all that happened is some. They came back and were like, okay, maybe. Um, how about thirty five billion or thirty billion? <laughs> it's like, well, are we are we negotiating right now? I thought that this was like. Thought that this was a solid number, so I think that those are the, that that uh, taken with the very last bullet point. I think that t- t- which calls for assistance for the HOAs to actually be able to do this, which is a little bit of a like, hey, it will help you do this, but you need to be able to do this. I think that that's um, that would be something that you'd be able to make a lot of common cause with other mem- other you know the, the economic spectrum. I think, um, I think of, of homeowners, the whole property insurance issue is one that li- literally knows no party, right? We know, obviously, a lot of Democrats that are going through this, but a lot of Republicans, for sure, are irate with their insurance provider, are irate with their HOA. You know, who doesn't hate insurance companies? Who doesn't hate their HOA, right? I've seen so many articles over the past year comparing HOA uh, uh, HOAs to um, the Gestapo and the Nazis. And, I mean, I have to agree. I mean, and I'm on the board of an HOA. It's it's just awful, yeah. right? So, um but uh, yeah, I think uh, it, it's remarkable how much appeal this issue has. And then at the same time, how very few people we have been able to organize around this cause. And that's one of the other things I wanted to talk about is what the mechanics of the campaign itself have looked like. And we do have this petition going on. Uh, we have been doing a lot of canvassing in different neighborhoods that have to pay these HOA fees. And at the same time, that people are coming to us constantly and complaining, rightfully so, that they are unable to pay their bills because they have to pay so much in insurance premium increases and HOA fee increases and mortgage payment increases because your mortgage also goes up if your insurance goes up, by the way. you know, And people don't typically talk about that. But yeah, the mortgage company also has insurance requirements that they have to meet 
And then they end up passing that on to the consumer as well. So it's like you're hitting, getting hit by the in three different directions, and everybody's increasing it by the hundreds. You know, not by the well, a, per, a, a perverse little dynamic there yeah. that I, that always bothers me so much is that when my escrow goes up and when I see my insurance my insurance rates going up, um, I don't have an HOA fortunately. But when when uh, when I, when that happens, it it's not even as if the millage rate went up and I was paying more taxes because then I could at least say, well, my daughter's public school is probably going to benefit from that at the very least or something. And, you know, I could at least rationalize that a little bit. But the fact that it's just going to those aforementioned executive bonuses that you were talking about, it's that's that's all it is. And literally, literally. Um, and so despite all of that, it has been very hard to find people that are willing to like put in the work of actually going out, doing the outreach, helping us get these petitions signed, um, reaching out to their representatives. You know, it's 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 been surprisingly difficult. And we've tried to put it out there in as many different outlets as possible. And, you know, this is the kind of thing that affects everybody in Florida. Everyone in Florida is affected by this. Everyone. And yet, for whatever reason, not everybody is down to, um, to do something about it in a very productive way. Uh, the biggest example is in our own homeowners association. We, we did a really dedicated job at the very beginning to really knock on every door in the community, send out uh, notices, give people an idea of how they could get involved in this campaign. We were doing meetings regularly every Friday. Um, we, uh, we set up a whole bunch of different actions where people could participate in. And for two months between like May, June, going into July, hardly anybody or like very, very few of those people actually actively participated in this campaign and when the fees when we when the association finally had no choice but to actually increase the fees because we couldn't wait any longer we tried our best to figure out a different way to do this um people just ate it you know and this yeah. was a significant increase it was almost 200 dollars. and this is a community of people where people are elderly they're living on retirement and all these different things and they preferred to just eat the increase versus actually organizing to prevent the increase mm. from happening. And I, I mean, prefer is obviously not the right word. Nobody prefers that, no, right? No, it's, it's, it's a default. It's a default position. Right. It's something that I think you, is... You probably don't it's, even it's, conceive that you can do something about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, even if even if somebody like Adrian has reached out and engaged you and let you know, here's this program. I, I, I think that you must be dealing... This is a really unique type of organizing that you're doing right now because it's tied up in shame and um it's just tied up in a feeling of like inadequacy and like oh man i can't afford to live in this house that i've lived in it forever and it, it, there's there's a lot of like dynamics and i mean forget about all the the political poisoning that our brains have undergone you know through partisan politics over the last few years this is just something that is is it's kind of tough to uh, you know, kind of organize people and get them, get them rallied right. to, to, to come together for this issue. It's like so many things in our culture, it's hyper individualized. Yeah. It's like, no, it's, it's you, you're dealing with yeah. this alone. It's your problem. And you fucked up somehow. I don't know how, it's also, but you fucked it's up. It's a constant right? reminder that like under the current status quo, you are constantly living at someone else's mercy. And that's not something that I yeah. think a lot of people would like to, you know, reckon with. Yeah, there's some social engineering in Florida with respect to insurance broadly, where we have been conditioned to just expect double digit rate increases every year. Oh, no, forget about it. homeowners. I'm talking about auto, 
uh, health. I mean, I just, I just, it was just open enrollment at my job. And I mean, my health, I, I provide insurance for my family and my, my, my premiums went up a solid like 30%. And I'm, in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, that happens every single year. It just happens all the time. And it feels like we are, and HOA, I lump them in there with, with the, in, into the, and like you guys do, which I think is smart to put HOAs on the same sort of ground as, as, as uh, the insurance, the, the insurers, I should say. Um, because they too have become this this massive unregulated. I mean, just just a few minutes before we got on this call, um, this came out of Florida politics. Florida agencies quote toothless in handling condo complaints. Enforcers tell lawmakers, and they were talking about Spencer Hennings, um, the state's condominium ombudsman who served from 2020 to 2023. That was his quote. Unit owners basically have no rights. There's nothing that you can do. I mean, apart from organizing like like smash is trying to do but individually as an aggrieved consumer there's nothing that you can do even if you have your state representative or your state senator's ear and even if you contributed a half million dollars to their political campaign there's just nothing for them to do they don't have a mechanism and or not one that they would readily hit so that must be a huge i'm, I'm, I'm outlining all the challenges of this but um you know it's 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 depressing myself at the same time uh, it, it is it is a little bit discouraging and i'm only bringing it up because i really want everybody to understand you know i mean i'm sure this is not the first time you've talked about this issue and i'm sure this is not the first time your listeners are hearing about this issue if not from here then certainly from like the innumerable amount of articles that have come out in like the Miami Herald, all the newspapers all, every time you flip on the tv somebody's talking about this problem and I don't feel like in general people are engaged to do something about the problem in the ways that you would expect. You know, they're just not. Um, and I, I find it so strange how when things happen that are really not relevant to people's lives, people are really motivated to hit the streets and march, right? Um, and for justifiable causes, by the way. But like when when some when this brutal economic reality is literally like dick slapping you in the face every single day. <laughs> and you just like basically are like, I guess there's nothing I can do. No, we're showing you what you can do. There's all of these different things that we can do, even if it's as small as signing a petition. And you can't even do that. You know, I think people really need to like wake up just a little bit and 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 decide like what – what kind of a future do they really want? And then how how much do they really want to be oppressed? Because right now we're basically telling all of our elected officials in Florida that we love oppression and we want more yeah, of it. Give us more. Yeah. We could probably we could probably take a little more. You know what? If, I, I could probably come up with a few, a little a few more bucks for my premium. Come on, hit me. <laughs> let's see. Let's see how crazy we can make this whole right, situation. Right, right, right. <laughs> let's go wild with and, it. And I I've got to tell you, man, I am fucking tired of this state just yes. like having its boot on my neck every single day. And I don't know what it, it's going to take for everybody else to be in the same position, but like, I hope it happens soon because otherwise this really is going to become playground for the elite, the rich and famous, right? Yeah. Then their main complaint is going to be, they don't have anybody to clean their house or do their dishes or whatever, you know? And, and those are going to be kind of like the, the issues that rule the state. I don't want that to be the case. I, I love this place. It's my home. I've lived here my entire life. I'm sure, David, you have too. Um, and I, I don't. I'm not going to give up that easily. I'm just not. You know, uh, it'll be a really cold day in hell before these Nazis kick me out of my neighborhood. 
You'd mentioned oh, yeah. We the People before. Um, how can listeners plug in with the campaign, um, and, and what can they do to help move these demands over the over the finish line? Certainly, please sign the petition. Very important. There's also another campaign, if you are in Miami specifically, that we'd like folks to get onto, which is the Miami Housing Justice Agenda. And this is broader than just talking about property insurance and HOAs. This is talking about the entire housing system, which needs significant reform. And basically what this agenda would do is it would send an email to all of your elected officials, letting them know that you are in favor of making housing a human right. You are in favor of the Miami-Dade Affordable Housing Framework, which outlines a whole suite of different policies that would get us to 210,000 units of affordable housing by the year 2030 and would essentially make it so that everybody who needs affordable housing gets affordable housing. So everybody can have a home. Um, very common sense ways to pay for it as well. Uh, different kinds of like bond measures we can pass. Very, very small increases to property insurance, uh, property taxes, excuse me. Very common sense and workable things that the average person can tap into and do. Um, but we need a critical mass of people to support. And if we don't get at least half of this county to support it, it's, it's unlikely that we'll actually be able to pass any of these reforms. So that's what we're working for. We want 1.5 million Miamians to sign the Miami Housing Justice Agenda. So that way we can make it happen and we can make homes for all a reality for everybody in Miami. So if you're hearing the sound of our voice, be a part of that half, be a part of that of the solution. Go check out smash.miami. You can learn more about both of the campaigns uh, and uh, figure out how you can be a part of um, helping Miami and Florida achieve housing equity at long last and you know hold some of these quasi-governmental agencies, companies, these organizations that have come to have this iron grip on our life and our, 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 our wallets, uh, hold them accountable a little bit. Uh, Adrian Madrid, thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you very much, David and Jerry. Always a pleasure. Okay, we're back. We're joined by Tomas. Hello, Tomas. Hey, back in Miami, baby. Yeah, he's back. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we uh, again thank Adrian uh, for joining us and, 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 and talking about the project over there at Smash. Um, but now we're going to move on to kind of a grab bag of topics. Uh, and we wanted to start with one of our favorite little um, peccadillos down here in South Florida, specifically in Miami, and that's the world of Web3, crypto, mm -hmm. blockchain. And the three of us, thanks to Tomas, we, we read this great book that a lot of you have probably heard of by now uh, called Number Goes Up. And we have, um, I think we have opinions about it. I think it was really good. Tomas went the extra mile and read sort of a counter text. Uh, the, um, the, what's, the, what's the title of the, of, of the Michael Lewis book again? Going Infinite. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. How do we tackle the this? Title, I, I do want to, the title comes from uh, that infamous uh, Sam Bankman of Freed interview where he's basically asked to like describe the in the crypto industry Please. he basically describes like a ponzi scheme he basically characterizes it as like a box that creates its own hype and it's backed by anything except just you know like hype um and you know he talk he basically says that um you know the 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 ultimate end uh, of the crypto industries is going to be 
a, a money-making box that's backed by nothing that it's just going to go infinite and then everybody's going to get rich. And obviously that did not pan out. <laughs> uh, the idea that there's like a box of infinite wealth for everybody right. that we, we can only tap into if you buy my, my non-existent product. That, yeah. Okay, well, my question is, like, how is that any different, you uh, little socialist progressives? How is that any different than modern monetary theory? Huh? Huh? No, I'm just, I'm just um, joking. Obviously, I'm being facetious, but, like... I'm, I'm not an MMT guy. <laughs> I, I, I bunkered down for the MMT one. I, I, I feel like I could do it, but I don't want to torture the audience. <laughs> I, I, am, I am not an MMT guy. I, I do not believe in that shit. Uh, what I was struck by, Jer, is, like... I, I I didn't read the um the Michael Lewis book, but I did mm -hmm. read uh, Zeke Fox. Is it Zeke Fox? Right? It's, it's Fox. It, yeah. It's spelled like foe, but it's Fox. Right. Zeke Fox's book, which was number go up, and um, I was impressed, if nothing else, with his ability to immediately diagnose that there was something wrong with the subjects of his interview before it became popular to assume that before it became like permissible to say that that all of crypto is bullshit he yes. was able to but one of the funny things and that i found affable about the book is that he makes fun of himself and the book is really funny right like he, it is really yeah. funny. Yeah. this all starts with hating this yeah. all starts yeah. with him being mad that his friend made some pocket change yeah, yeah he, has, he has like a good self-deprecating prose but he beats himself up actually for writing a bunch of like snowball like pieces and like a snow uh, like a, a a puff piece mm -hmm. uh profile of, of sam bankman fried right so i think yeah he he always had like a skeptic's eye for it but he himself didn't do like the due diligence uh as a bloomberg reporter and i'm not necessarily mad at it because you know he like acknowledges it and wrote this great book uh but uh, again hindsight is you know 2020 or whatever yeah. To, to your point about the characters, like nine years ago when I was, I first heard about Bitcoin in 2014 when like everyone was talking about like the white papers are going around. Sorry? Honestly, yeah, I should have. Uh, my Yeah, I could have been a Buttigieg supporter and happy. Yeah. <laughs> um, the only names attached to it that I was familiar with were like the Winklevoss twins. I knew it from the Winklevoss is basically trying to uh, capitalize on this new um, hype train since they missed their own boat on social media and now they were going to hitch their um, their canoe to a new boat in Bitcoin and become billionaires that way. Um, I was struck by also the marketing of what Bitcoin and crypto is versus how it's actually able to sustain itself. The first being this is a totally off the grid, peer to peer, like underground, what have you. Um, and recently it's only been able to sustain itself by becoming basically an index for wall street funds. <laughs> like it's, it's like that whole, like Michael Corleone, like we're going completely legitimate. Like that, yeah. that's the only way it's been able to sustain itself and have a new little boom is basically by becoming traded on the very entities that they say they're trying to skirt around in the first place. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think the blockchain it's like not innovative technology, right? It's just right. like public uh, automated like ledger, right. you know what I mean? And I think it, it has like some interesting applicable uses. For example, I, I, I was reading about how it could be used for like election, like integrity in like, you know, like 
illiberal democracies where people could like record their vote on like a blockchain ledger right and it's like publicly available and like unchangeable and that way you could like actually verify like who voted for who like things like that that i'm like well it would be weird in practice but it, it's interesting yeah but like you know like the fucking thing like the, the the applicable uses that like all the fucking crypto fanatics talk about are just nonsensical like putting like medical records on like the blockchain or like you know smart con like that, that's just all bullshit like you know what i mean and it's not gonna like replace fiat currency and that's one of like the takeaways of the number go up book that's so like at the end of the day like that that that, that is the end all be all when like the, the author says like traveling for this book to like asia or like the caribbean yeah. or miami the United States, <laughs> miami like i was appreciative of how easy it was for me to just use my debit card, my credit card, you know what I mean? Like cash and how complicated it was to like buy Bitcoin, spend Bitcoin, you know, like buy, buy an NFT, how stressful it all was. Right. So like at the end of the day, like what people are looking for is like reliability, conformity, and, and, you know, like easy, easy to use interface yeah. and like, Bitcoin just does not provide that. And like, you know, I'm, I'm ranting a little bit, but I'll say like, I I actually, you know, I, I've, I've hated on Bitcoin a lot in my social media and in my writing and in cryptocurrency in general in this podcast. But I actually don't mind it as much as like people might think. Like I think as a, as a peer to peer like currency, I think it's like a, a cool idea. I think it's cool that can be, it's like an unregulated like, currency that people can use to like buy drugs like yeah. I, I like like criminality and i like chaos like that's cool to me and interesting but once it becomes something that's like regulated and there's like exchanges and then it's just it's it's not like this libertarian it's like play money basically and yeah yeah and actually and i don't mind even like people gambling on it like that's cool like gamble away like yeah. if you don't lose your money lose your money but just don't come to me with this like bullshit that it's gonna be like revolutionized like the financial sector and it's gonna replace fiat currency that's when i feel like you think i'm stupid and i don't like that like I, you're taking me for a ride that i that i, I just don't believe in the the other piece of marketing that um the crypto people and they have this in common with the gold bugs uh, as well is well when the system collapses you're gonna want to have something you know that's not in dollars so you can go somewhere and take you know take it with you which stipulates two things um one that whatever catastrophic event happens to society, the servers for crypto and the mines, crypto mines, will be completely unaffected by this event. Which that's a gamble in and of itself. But the other one is that that um, page where um, all these uh, for listeners who didn't read the book, um, crypto basically uh, is backed by um, what are called tethers. Um, essentially, tethers are an account that's has real assets. Um, and you know, has, has like, um, it's, it's, it's basically the, the anchor, to the dollar. right? The, yeah. the anchor every, yeah. every tether is supposed to be backed by one US dollar, correct? One so it's supposed to be a one to one. Um, where when a bunch of tethers went missing and they found that basically there were 97 cents of tethers backing the dollar for a brief period, they just invented new tethers, which at that point you have undermined the entire like. Well, you can't trust the dollar. They just make it up. It's like you guys make it up too. <laughs> like there's, the and that's that's exactly what happened with with FTX too, right? Yeah. Where like they they like minted their own coin, the FTT, 
and you know they were just basically like backing like like they were like taking customer funds from FTX using them to get, to basically gamble you know uh, on their like hedge fund Al Alameda Research that had like direct access to these customer funds that they also owned and they were just replacing those customer funds with FTT tokens on FT and saying like well these tokens are really valuable like the money's there y'all but it's like you're you you know like you just have like a printing machine that goes burr yeah anyway. no no that's not how it works you know what i mean and and that's also the other thing that i was going to get to like all throughout 2021 and 2022 and even before that like the the thing that people kept saying Gerald which you were getting at is bitcoin is is a good hedge to put your savings it's better than gold because it's it, it it's not harmed by inflation right like it, it does not cave under inflationary pressure under like an economic recession under an economic downturn like it's basically like bulletproof and time and again yeah. it's been proven that it's completely correlated to mm. like inflationary pressure like interest rates like the which whatever way the stock market is going like it is completely correlated to all of that and like look i'm, I'm gonna be honest like do i think like right now like the, a bitcoin is one bitcoin is worth it, it keeps swinging between thirty-five thousand to thirty-eight thousand. that seems to be like the ceiling right now do i think it's gonna like hold or stay around there or maybe even go up like yeah, probably. Actually, I don't think there's gonna be like a a mass collapse of like no Bitcoin, but it's because what I'm what I was getting at earlier, right? What I was talking about earlier, it's a good casino. Like, yeah, it's a fun casino. It's a good place to gamble. If you want to gamble some money, maybe you make some money, maybe you lose some money, but it's it's not gonna revolutionize like the no. financial industry. These it, are just unregulated securities, and you can go gamble, do it peer to peer if you want to avoid these exchanges by all means because they can take your money whenever they want they're yeah. completely regulated but just don't don't sell me this fucking pipe dream that francis Suarez was 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 selling me that like you know this the, the city of miami staking on some like make-believe coin it's going to get rid of city taxes that's when i start to yeah be no 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 if you want to if you want to treat it like any other commodity where you buy low and sell high by all means like have fun oh. you know but like you said it's the woo woo it's the this there's a special metaphysical quality to these lines of code that you you start losing people and, I, and also i do want to talk about like another aspect of it which is just uh, which is a little bit more frivolous but just how fucking lame the fucking culture is around all of this shit and like the insane oh, loser energy yeah from this and most importantly it is like a repellent for women like yeah. and i'm not saying that like the the book says that you know remember when he goes to like that one like nft like music conference in new york and there's just like not a single woman there we just saw the 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 images from this hong kong like nft conference that they had where they all got like blinded yeah. from like the uv light only, only one like, only one percent of attendees thomas it was only one percent mm -hmm. of the attendees were yeah. permanently you know, blinded for you know, attending you know an event also one percent of attendees women because all the videos <laughs> i'm not trying to sound like a douchebag but like you know like it, it, there's something wrong there when you're just like attracting all these like weirdo like bro-ish dudes it's just like yeah. a bad culture like you know what i mean and and most importantly the effective altruist shit, like we really need to 
We could Anybody do a whole thing on just that. It drove me insane. You, know, you want to describe what effective altruism effective is? Effective tr- altruism is basically bizarro Marxism, where instead of the working class as the primary agent of history, it's actually uh, the capitalist, because only the capitalist has all the money um, that he can uh, rain down upon all of us um, th- just through his own sheer benevolence. Um, and yeah. for no other reason. Basically, he, he he needs to make money so he can give it away eventually. Yeah. And the day he gives it away, by the way, never comes. <laughs> the phrase that describes it is earning to give. They basically want to earn as much money as possible to give it away to philanthropic uh, causes and organizations. And of course, they never do. But yeah, like read number go up. Read Michael Lewis's Going Infinite. These people are fucking freaks they are weirdos they are all like like mathematically like gifted antisocial like weirdo people that like like assess all of their like relationships and decisions around like mathematical probabilities and they don't actually like like people and they say so themselves but because of like you know mathematical probabilities they and the way they think about the world, they're like, oh, we have to save as many lives of, as possible and we have to invest all this money. But the money never gets invested. Uh, it's just really fucking strange. Yeah. You, you, build this, you build this wealth creation engine um, that you say is going to um, uh, be a funnel, basically, to all these good causes. But the second that you give away all your money for these good causes, you kill the engine. So the the thing you're promising will happen can't happen or else you would kill the engine that makes it possible in the first place. Uh, and it's also not a new idea. I remember in the mid 2000s, Oprah was getting together like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and talking about like giving away their money when they die or whatever. Not yeah. as like a philosophical thing, just as a nice gesture. They, they all sign the pledge. They're all worth more now They're than they were then. Yeah. You know what it reminds like the what I was like learning about all this bullshit like. What it reminded me of in a way was like, you know, like Ayn Rand's like yes. objectivism. It's like the bizarro version of that, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like instead of saying like altruism is bad and selfishness is good because if you're selfish, you know, you'll better yourself and that and, and you'll better your surroundings and you'll create good things that are later used by other it's people. It's like rainbow libertarianism, basically. Yeah, but it's basically yeah. we're like, well, that sounds like bad, but like capitalism is still good and I can still become really rich. And, you know, I, I am like a great person that can accomplish more than others. And, but like, I, I don't want to say that I'm selfish because that feels uncomfy. So like, yeah. I, I actually like I'm important and I'm a good person and I'm going to give back. And it's like, I actually like respect. I'm not, not saying that I agree with it, but I respect the objectivists more. That are yes, saying, I do. Okay, like I am selfish. Like, There's a through I, line to at it. Least, at least, at least, like be honest, own your shit, and like you know, just be transparent. But don't hide behind this fucking veneer of like philanthropy and like do good and you know where you're like stealing fucking customer billions of dollars worth of customer funds from people, you know, and like. being a fucking degenerate gambler on like the fucking crypto markets like Like if people in puerto rico are graffitiing imperialista on your property like you are not the good guy like you're just not (laughs) the 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 the, the the moral arguments and the sort of philosophical arguments that they have in the book and and the way that he presents it is in my opinion it kind of all shot it's all it all pales in comparison to the section on what 
something that I had kind of known about but didn't really know about until I you know read the book, which is the concept of pig butchering. Which is uh, I don't know if you guys were, were were tuned in. I that was the most to me the most striking part of the book. And for those who don't know, pig butchering is the scams that maybe you see the text messages come in where somebody pretends that they it's uh, pretty clearly if you're even slightly internet literate you know that it's bullshit right you you know that it's like somebody will send you a message hey Jonathan gonna be in the city again tomorrow and it's like okay this is somebody who's fishing or doing Mm -hmm. some bullshit but I they need they need to get more unhinged honestly I want to get a little more combative maybe no they know that it's like hey man like really good fuck last month like want to do it again yeah <laughs> like i they have get, like a little crazy by like, the way this is this is also the same strategy that andrew tate would use for his uh webcam girls uh to build relationships with you know lonely men who right. want to watch it build relationships with them and then soak them for all their money it's literally the same exact thing right what's what's so abject about this is like you would assume it's just some scammer somewhere but but what um what fox found finds out in his reporting is that it's actual women being held against their will in places or like, men or men. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, this is a person. Well, that's... I think there was one section where he was like outside of uh, one of these facilities in like Cambodia or something. And he saw women yeah. leaving. So maybe that's why I got the word woman. I got the idea of it being women stuck in my head. And obviously they're usually posing as women on text. Um, yeah, to... exactly. They're both, no, but it, uh, he talks about it. It could be men or women. They're posing as women to like scam lonely men, but it's just like some person that has been like tricked into going to like get like a customer service job in Cambodia for like a telephone company. And once they get there, they're like literally like, you know, they're put into a car, gun to their head, driven to like this compound, put into a room and they're like, yeah, this is a list of people. Text them. Here's a script. Make some fucking money or we'll beat the shit out of you. That coupled with his story about, um, you know, the the Bukele administration in El Salvador and the way that they've turned all these 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 small businesses and merchants in El Salvador, are, are, they're sort of struggling with these American libertarians washing up in their in their towns and trying to pay for everything in Bitcoin and him uh, Bukele requiring these these poor merchants who are their their profits that they sustain on are tiny like fractions of 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 what we would ever think of as like a livable wage and like they have to deal with fucking gas fees and fucking processing fees and all this ridiculous shit and it just makes me realize like all these arguments and conversations that we have about the philosophy behind this shit like there's like real human cost and it just makes the world shittier for like wide swaths of people that they have to deal with the fallout of these little fucking computer games that these guys want to play and these like concepts that they want to put into practice and how many different you know how many different effective altruistic charities can i get a tax break on and shit like that it it, it, it's all hypothetical theoretical and mostly bullshit it's like what you were saying before Gerald, about like gold bugs with gold bugs i've always thought like when the system fails you don't want gold. You want like potable bullets water. and meat. meat you want and bullets, bullets, meat, and yeah. drinking water. Exactly. Yeah. Like you think what people are just going to be out trading? In this Name one person on The Last of Us who was trading crypto. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say this: if you do, you know, like that, this is like really catastrophic. What we are like, you know, that level of societal collapse, which could happen. But like, you know, I'm not trying to sound like a fucking Fox News like boomer you know from like yeah. your commercials but like is your money more safe backed in gold than in crypto 
Like, absolutely. Yeah. Like, if you want to back your money in something, sure. Like, yeah, you should absolutely back it in gold. Well, like bales of wheat would be more secure. But like, like the, but you can so, look at the history of gold and realize what it is as a commodity over like centuries and generations and shit. Correct. If you look at the existence of crypto so far, all it is is a wealth transfer algorithm. That's all it is. Yeah. It's just moving money from the West to the it's East. It's a party. It's That's a, all it is is a party. Yeah. And a, and bad and, and like, yeah, and a party, bad party. Parties, yeah. It's a party with no women and, and like really shitty. Like, <laughs> like no women, but they do have mayors. <laughs> yeah, really, like like the worst like mayors in fucking the United States. Eric Adams and Francis yep. Wells. You want to hang yep. out with those guys? Oh, I don't. Talk Maybe for five minutes before I get in trouble. <laughs> Just Eric for the Adams stories. Maybe Eric Adams because he's like genuinely like a Trump like insane. Character. Yeah. But I, I do not want to hang out with Francis Suarez. Eric, Adams, Eric Adams reminds me of a guy who would get like caught up in a pig butchering scam. Like I feel like he would he he he's susceptible to that kind of. He would be so happy texting people saying he wanted to hang out with them later today. Just randomly, he would be so happy doing that. <laughs> Meet me at the Applebee's in Times Square. I'll be there. <laughs> Margarita Bill, baby. Yeah, R.I.P. Voters finally have a choice, guys. There's gonna be so, there's gonna be so much choice in 2024, and it all looks like it's it's shaping up to be great. It's gonna everything's gonna work out wonderfully. Um, and uh, I guess among those those uh, two party challengers um, that that we've heard so much about, RFK Jr. and I don't know who the fuck else uh, at this point. I don't even know who's still. Marianne Williamson. Is she third party? I thought she was a Democrat. Oh, no, sorry. Cornell West. Cornell West. West. There yes. you go. Cornell's still kicking, uh, despite, I guess, Peter Dow. Jill Stein is leaving. in uh, Jill, Is Jill Stein, Stein coming out? Oh, in? yeah. She's jumping in for the Greens. Okay. these are, yep. But these yep. are all That's minor good. leaguers, guys. Let's talk about I somebody. Let's talk, about, let's, let's talk about a pro, a yeah. real pro, the, the guy who's going to capture all those disaffected voters out there, firing Dean up Phillips? the. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking right here on my on my notes, and it says that that person is Joe Manchin, Senator D, mm-hmm. West Virginia. Um, I don't know, Gerald. You wanted to talk about Joe Manchin and his uh, prospects as maybe being a dark horse presidential candidate. Yeah, Joe, Joe uh, is very sad about how dysfunctional everything's become in Congress. Uh, I guess when he got in in 2010, things were very functional. Yeah, uh, but now they're not anymore, which makes him very sad. And he just doesn't want to be a senator anymore. But he's 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 got other plans for himself. He's thinking, you know, hey, no one wants a rematch of Trump v. Biden. So, you know, I'm not saying why not me, but I'm I'm not not saying that. <laughs> the the when is a yacht not a yacht candidate? He's, yes. <laughs> I don't. I just I'm trying to. I'm trying. When to is an up. opportunist not an opportunist? Okay, guys. Poll. Yes. Is he is he running? Let's go. Gerald, what do you think? I don't know. Uh, I was reading articles like, what's his get if he does this? And they were like, oh, maybe he just wants to be like on the board of a school or like a, like a, a big, you know, corporation. I was like, Ben Sass accomplished nothing as a senator and he's the dean of UF. Like, you don't have to run for president to make that if that's the transition you want. Um, my guess is he's if he were to do it, it's just to neg Biden into doing, you know, more of a a move to the right. But the thing that struck me, I watched his interview with NBC, which went on for almost uh, 45 minutes. Um, 
he's basically using all of Biden's 2020 campaign messaging against Biden. <laughs> like he's just talking about. He, he wants to restore the soul of America. Yes. Oh, well, you know, we need that. Yeah. We do need that. We need, we need more soul. All right, David, is he running or not? Let's well, go. I, just a moment ago, I, I when you asked me that question, I, um, I you made, announced. No, I wrote I wrote a, a poll on Twitter and um, it's been up for about one minute now and I have no votes. So I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, vote on your own poll. I'll go. Yeah, I, honestly, honestly, you've um, Tomas, you've made me a way more cynical person. And now, what I think, now I think, if there's an angle where he can make some money on, like, is there? I, I'm not, and I'm not even going to think about. I'm not going to posit what a lot of people I've heard are are asking, which is like, are there voters? Does he have a base? Is there people who care about a Joe Biden? Or, I'm sorry, a Joe Manchin uh, candidacy. <laughs> Joe Biden too, actually, at this point. Yeah. But um, but I I just think is there like one like Conagra level size company that will just dump a bunch of money on him? One yeah, like no Coke industry, late no labels type. Yeah, like launder it through no labels and dump the money on him. Which Tomas, I saw you had tweeted recently about how no labels is sitting on a fat stack of cash, right? And they're but just, they're just like spending on massive salaries. Yeah. Or like they're like top. So if there's a financial incentive, I think he'll do it. All right. Time for my take. Uh, I don't think he's going to do it. Mm. Um, I could eat my words, mm. but I think it's too embarrassing. And I don't want to give Manchin too much credit, but I do think he's like a sophisticated and smart political operative. Oh, yeah. And I just don't see him embarrassing him like that. His tactic all throughout his like, or the last couple of years of his like, you know, uh, like uh, time as a senator has been to basically like hold out and extract things right. from stakeholders. And I think he's in a good position to like threaten to run right. and scare the White House and therefore have him, you know, still be listened to, right? He's he's still important. Well, And he can still go on this Sunday morning news shows on on the primetime uh, uh, weeknight news shows, still be like a voice even after he stops being a senator. Um, but I, I think for, and he can still fundraise, right? Up until he's he right. stops right. being a senator with this like thing, you know, hanging in the air. But I think ultimately he doesn't run and he becomes like a lobbyist and uh, gets on the board of like, you know, like weapon manufacturers Raytheon and pharmaceutical or companies yeah. and, you know, all this stuff that he's, you know, already in bed with and becomes like, you know, like a, 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 someone who's constantly on, on these like legacy media news channels. But that, that's my, um, yeah, uh, expectation for that. So you think for the next, I mean, it, it's very plausible because he's, he's basically already doing it, but you think he he just basically becomes America's Hamlet where he just hems and haws about what he ought to do or might do in basically just to put a, a dark cloud over the Biden 24 campaign of, you know, all right, I don't want to piss him off. So I better be careful in my messaging and communications. I'm just going by what I've seen so far. And that's yeah. all in the Senate. Yeah. I just, I wonder, I wonder what your ROI is if you are Raytheon and you, you know, dump, Fifty million dollars in some way, shape, or form on Mansion, either as a private sector conduit into, like you're already Raytheon, you're already a huge, and this is a guy who's going to be persona non grata in so many circles, right? I mean, not for any ideological or like 
altruistic reasons, but just for the basic math of he was supposed to be number 51 and he never was. And that, and that'll be, that'll be somebody that, that's, by the way, the other thing too is that that's a, as opposed to cinema, when she leaves, like that is somebody that that's a that's a a seat that Democrats absolutely lose. There's no uh, chance of them keeping that. I, I disagree, David, because so many of his like Democratic colleagues and Republican colleagues are like fawning over him that he's bipartisanship and someone yeah. who respected the institution. And you know what? Like I did see Murkowski going, like complimenting him on, on going back some to show. the crypto conversation, and and this is more more talked about in Michael Lewis's book. FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried <laughs> spent so much fucking money they spent i think 15 million dollars alone on um having uh uh kevin o'leary from shark tank do like 12 like publicity spots on him and yeah. they spent on, on on the company and they spent i think over 50 million dollars on tom brady right doing a sponsorship they have just so much money that it didn't matter to him at the time a, a company like Bo boeing and raytheon you know, and like a uh, Pfizer, they have more money. almost unlimited, unlimited money. So, like, is the ROI like? Yeah, the ROI is good because they can. Ca like, it's not so much about having like mansion. I think lobby for them, which I think he will. It's more about sending a message to everybody else in the institution that there's a payday at the at uh, you know at the yeah. end of your career. Mm -hmm. If you lose office or when you retire, there's a payday and. So you, you you best fall in line and you best play the game. And I think that's ultimately what the money is, is, is spent on. Saying like, hey, there's a revolving door here. So be a good boy, be a good girl, and the, 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 you're going to live good. Joe, <laughs> Joe, Man Joe, Manchin, Joe Manchin is walking so that, uh, you know, uh, fucking George Santos can run one day. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and like, look, let's, let's again, you know, Francis Suarez, we've talked about this, mayor of Miami. He has this almost no-show job yeah. at this, like, Quinn Emanuel, this law firm, where his job is not really to practice law, but to just kind of, like, grease contracts with the city yeah. and, you know, just, like, move things for them in the Handshake city. Handshake and, you know, rubber yeah. stamp, yeah. And they're not real jobs. It's just, like, sending emails and making some phone calls. But at the end of the day, it's also just making sure that like our political system is corrupted and that people know that like there's a payday yeah and that's very hard for some people to resist I mean, we were talking in the chat about um david Sachs uh finding that he'd rather spend money on vivek ramaswamy and rfk jr than ron DeSantis these days i gotta think it's an easy pitch to a guy like that say if you're already willing to spend your money on cranks who are running isn't that money just as well spent on a, a sitting senator about to be a retired senator who might run and even just the threat of him running is enough to get maybe you know some backroom deals made yeah yeah i feel like when you uh, put your money behind a guy like vivek one of these more like modern uh, candidates that have no chance of winning but are kind of building a platform or a brand it's really more like hiring a social media influencer to promote your brand it's not even really about any Damn, that's a good analogy any like tangible connections to like what doors is Vivek Ramaswamy going to open for you? Really, you know, it's it's more about yeah. almost like what Thomas was Domas was saying is that like it's 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 for the press release. It's to say like, hey, look, look who we signed. You know, it's um you know some Maverick Carter move. Watch this space. <laughs>
<laughs> what? Hey, now watch this drive. <laughs> y'all, y'all, millennial listeners will, will remember that quote. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>